Cool. All right, three, two, one. Welcome to Behind the Curve with me, Jonah, and my friend Galen. Um, Galen, in my opinion, is the podfather. He's the one that got me on everything and told me I should do it over a year ago. Uh, so, to be frank, to be honest, I'm a little nervous just because it's like I've been on your show a couple times and I've watched your show, I've watched your show, and now it's like now someone I look up into in this in this business, I am getting to talk to. So. First of all, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, welcome. Or welcome to me, I guess. Like I said, this is, <laughs> this is I don't do many on this side of the, 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 the uh, I guess, the mic. So, no, happy to be here. Looking forward to this. I've been watching it, too. So, it, it sounds like it's been pretty cool. And uh, you got kind of like the coolest background, just kind of like out in the field. It brings us back to our roots. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm in a town maybe of Somerdale, Alabama. There's maybe 500 people in this whole town. It is... It's at, if you picture Alabama, whatever you're picturing in your brain, cornfields and cotton fields, that's what you're going to get here. Um, Did they have to adjust the the, uh, the city limit sign when you showed up? Uh, you just like take a little chalkboard and like 501? Like that Sim- it's that Simpsons episode where it just like comes around, just one person. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, this is country as country gets. But uh, so talking to you, you are a realtor, correct? Or the realtor up in New oh, York right. and upstate New York. Right. Yep, upstate um, New York. Yeah. Well, you took you took Kavanaugh Realty. You took it over from your dad, or how did that all work? Um, so I, yes, yeah, so dad still owns it. Um, I've been okay. doing it for this is my tenth year in real estate. I would say, pretty much right now, um, you know, he owns the company. I probably run ninety percent of the like the day to day stuff. So I'd say kind of like operational, head of operations, whatever you want to call it. Um. So I kind of really focus most of our time in the Plattsburgh office. So I pretty much am here every day, you know, dealing with just the day-to-day stuff of just deals and obviously the staff and then hiring and then marketing and obviously doing my own sales and stuff. So, um, and then having time to do like some podcasting and things like that. But um, yeah, so at the end of the day, pretty much the head of operations, um, I'd say that does entail a lot of hats though. So like kind of all the stuff I just told you. Now, do you do you obviously enjoy being a realtor? Is there a big difference between what you see when people come to you and meet you and look at a house and then the behind the scenes stuff going on as well? Well, yeah. So so if somebody comes to me to like see a house and stuff, I always kind of joke, it's not like HGTV. Those things are so canned, um, so scripted. Like it's like some of the stuff makes me cringe when I watch it. But um a lot of the times like when people come and meet meet me and I show them houses and stuff. It's way more laid back. It's conversational. I, I always tell people I like to just go, uh, are we allowed to swear on this or is this? <laughs> okay. Like I like to you know, just shoot the shit and stuff. I don't like to, uh, what I don't like to do is uh, make it very structured and rigid and not fun. Um, I got into the business. I was way too uptight. Um, I was young. I was like 20 and I just thought I was now in this industry with a bunch of old, old people. And mm-hmm. uh, I had to act like very professional and like buttoned up and stuff. And then as I started to get into it, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to act myself. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to make every day a blast. And then, you know, funny how that works when you act yourself and have fun. Um, people are attracted to that. And the people that are attracted to that want to work with me are just like me. And it's awesome. So now my clients that I have now is like basically my clientele now is so much more fun than what it used to be just because I mm-hmm. they're like me. And that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot the second part of it. If you said, oh, like what, behind the scenes. Uh, yeah. once you go under contract, there is like 
New York sucks for closing. It takes way too long. Um, some parts of the country you can close in like three to four weeks. Up here it's like eight weeks, which is a pain. Um, but there's a lot of back, like you know, back. I don't want to call it like backdoor kind of stuff. You don't see um, back. You know, I try. We have somebody that handles that for me because I don't like that. I like being up front. I like meeting people. I don't like doing the paperwork. Mm-hmm. So I delegated that. Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, and just knowing you and knowing your personable, uh, your you you are personable. It, I would think. I mean, at, one, at the end of the day, you're selling yourself more than anything. Just like when I was trying to sell a package in personal training or anybody selling anything, you need to make that first connection to even get them to consider. I would believe. Um, yeah, hundred percent. I, I well, look at the aspect of, and, and this wasn't really. Um, I didn't come up with this at all. I'm not that smart, but I, I definitely stole it. Um, was the Gary V idea that you, you are a marketer that happens to be, you know, personal training, and I've always looked at, and I want to keep doing this and, and and get bigger at this. Is that I'm, you know, a person. I'm a marketing person, company, whatever that does real estate. And I think I was the first one really in our area to dive into that sector. And for me, it's paid off tremendously. Uh, it's kind of like the, the early land grab to that space. Um, 2021, I'm, I want to elevate that. Um, so we're doing some stuff, doing some research now. Again, I'm not the smartest guy, but I know how to use YouTube. So I've been watching a lot of videos and just trying to you know, search for people that are smarter than me or like, hey, they, they do something really cool. How do, how can I, you know, we were joking about Casey Neistat before, but I've been, you know, I watch a lot of Casey's videos, but it's the idea that it's not necessarily the topic he's doing, but it's like, how is he cutting the camera? What's his angles? Is he going, you know, frame now I'm getting into like nerding out frames per second and aperture and stuff like this. And that's the stuff I want to elevate the cinematography of the videos along with the storytelling aspect to really enhance everything. So Mm -hmm. 2021, I'm really like trying to focus more on like the nerding out the video. And would you use that as advertising for your, your company, basically? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. I mean, so, I think at the end of the day, it's, yeah, it's just putting our name out there. Our company um, is a small little independent company, but I'll be honest, the last two to three years, we've been the fastest growing company, and I don't really see us slowing down. So I'm just kind of sitting there like almost like how much more like gas can I put on the fire just to keep it going? Well, and I see on my timelines everywhere, it's like, Kavanaugh Realty is a new, there's a new realtor every day with that little symbol next to it. And I see people with t-shirts on and I wore the t-shirt everywhere. And so, um, and it's funny because I'm sure you've noticed the likes and the view, just the viewership overall went from very minute numbers and then a decade later now, but even two, three years, bigger numbers, bigger numbers, you're hiring more people, you're having more success. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're in about three years, we're going to be, I think this year we could be anywhere, we'll probably People-wise, we'll be probably 4x what we were people-wise. Um, wow. Yeah, which is crazy considering we were probably like six people probably three years ago. And I think this year we're going to be you know, probably in that low to mid-20s, um, which is insane for a little small area. Um, it's possible we, we have actually – we may have the largest company by bodies um, in the next year or two. Now, obviously, a lot of those are newer people that if I can get them up to speed, obviously, if we have the most people and we can get them better, you can see where that's going. Um, but mm-hmm. – you know, I think a lot of a lot of the growth just takes time, um, you know, even down to social media. Like I remember starting social media like five, six years ago and to get one person or two people to like like anybody that any like amount of likes over maybe two people was a huge post for me. Like three <laughs> people saw this post. That's incredible. Now I post something and it's like I can see hundreds are seeing it. And I don't have like yeah. thousands of people that follow me. But, you know, for a small market to have, you know, close to a couple grand that follow me and then 
you know, maybe each post is being seen by a quarter of them. That's pretty cool. With real people too. It's not all these bots. It's not like you oh, see yeah. where people get 30,000 likes. And it's, I mean, you have actual individual likes and, and views that are going on. Well, the, the thing, if you go, I'm almost to a thousand followers on Instagram, which again, I, I say, I say this as I'm a dude that sells real estate in upstate New York. For me to have a thousand people, I'm not like the most attractive. I'm not a, you know, a pretty girl. I'm not like a fan. Like I don't do something cool like music or anything like that. So like I look at the amount of people that would like a real estate dude in upstate New York as it's kind of a hard sellish. So uh, especially where there's everybody you know is a realtor, it seems like. So yeah. to have that, those amount of people that want to follow me is pretty cool. And it was funny that like a month ago, I think it was at like 870 or 880 in people. And now I just checked them like, 920 something which seems crazy but like in a month to go up 50 people without trying like if you and these are yeah. for the, i would say 90 percent real people where if you click on their profile they're followed by like 20 mutual friends i'm like that's mm -hmm. the people i want i don't want the one person that just these they're not followed by anybody and they have you know, no yeah you know what i'm talking who's about from, who's from a random he's there in a random town somewhere and it's never that interaction is really never going to come to fruition because there is no point to them following an upstate new york realtor i mean they're not going to come buy a house in upstate new york Exactly. But those 20 real people, that's a huge thing to follow. And I mean, and I think, and you, I took kind of the model from you. And I took a model from like how Joe Rogan does it is where you just start picking and choosing different people. And then they have their own little following. And this person has their own little following. And you only need 10% of their following now to like you and to, and to understand what you're trying to do. And you grow exponentially every time you bring somebody else on. So it is, it's people helping people. And there's enough of the pie to go around. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think if you, it's called, I call cross promoting. So I do it, and I don't know, this, I just made that term up, yeah. but it's, I'm sure people have used it. It's the idea that, especially in our space up here, I'm not just posting my stuff, I'm not just posting our agents, but I'm posting friends and I'm posting other people locally in the community. Um, you know, one girl happens to be an agent here, but she does like this artworking thing with her father. She's young, you know, young, she's starting up this little side venture. Uh, you know, by me posting it, does she now get, you know, a few hundred people that would see it that wouldn't otherwise see it. And then all of a sudden, you know, max it or multiply that by multiple people. And she just reached an extra 2000 people for free over and over again, where now her following builds up and vice versa. So yeah. I'm sure like some of my people follow you. I'm sure you followed some of the people that follow me. And a lot mm -hmm. of it's just like, Hey, I don't know who that person is, but they seem pretty cool. And I know Jonah likes them and let me just see. And then we're kind of in the same, you know, which is, you know, we're now in the same space a little bit now, which, you know, I think, I think we had, I don't know we haven't even said it. So Jonah and I went to high school together. We've known each other since we were what, five. Yeah, easily. So it's, it's been a while. And I, and up until about a year ago, I don't, th I think I told you, I don't think I had actually heard your voice in almost 10 years, which sounds <laughs> crazy for someone that you went, you grew up like literally like a mile apart. And, yeah. uh, but now it's kind of cool because we've literally been reconnected through, you know, obviously I've seen you a couple of times in person, which is awesome, but just social media and then podcasting and just kind of following. Um, and then obviously I think both of our willingness to want to meet people and want to be better every day, I think that just attracts the right people. So I think naturally you and I have going to, you know, have collided back on a good path that I think is only going to get stronger, you know, kind of build and, off the younger days. And that's exactly. It. And it's like the old cliche was like real recognize real, but I mean, you're here working. I'm doing my best to work, and, and, and I'm sure you can pick out people in your mind where it's like, 
you would like to help them if they would just help themselves first. And it's like yeah. if they would just get out of their way and just and just start doing things and promoting and, and acting upon what they what they talk about or how they how they think they should be doing things. Well, it's like if you start doing it yourself, I will I'll be the first person to help you to to promote you to in whatever field that is in. Because, again, I don't know anything about selling houses, but if, it, if someone moves to New York and I've shared your stuff maybe 30 times and they're like, oh. Oh, Jonah knows a realtor up in New York. I can get a hold of him, and then, and all of a sudden, you have a yeah. new company or a new client. Yeah, for for sure. I mean, you had that, and I said even just the idea when you talk about cross promoting and trying to. There's a lot of parallels in different uh, industries. So I look at stuff you're doing, and I look at stuff that my friends and you know they could be in a totally different field. You know, I got a friend up here that, um, you know, I started a trash business, like picking up garbage, mm-hmm. and me and him talked for two hours on Friday, and like not two hours of like just you know you know, top layer stuff, we were going deep on some ideas. And then we're starting to think like, okay, like, and, and what's crazy about that is you take two different industries, we can, we can piggyback off of each other. But then we were literally thinking in our head, how can we, how can we collide two industries exactly. to do something? And then it's like, okay, real estate and trash. And there's, I mean, you can kind of figure out some small you know, stuff of like, hey, people have houses, they have trash. like that's, you know, kind of like first, first ideas. And then like, how much deeper can we go? And obviously things take time, but it's having those conversations now, but really looking at other people that are doing stuff correctly in their field or craft and then trying to take what you can use back. And I love stealing from other industries because it just it's the it's the themes that I'm looking for. You exactly. Know, the, the major yeah. themes. And so I don't I don't think I know the exact actual name of it. There's like a Plattsburgh group of, of you just invited me to something. And so now I'm looking at all these different professional. Is it Plattsburgh Young Professionals? Well, so there's there's Adirondack Young Professionals. This is professional connections, which is it's basically like a referral kind of base group. But mm-hmm. um, me, the guy who's in the trash industry, and another girl, we're trying to grow that up um, just because it's it's a little you know the membership was a little bit older, it's starting to you know slowly trend younger, which naturally happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we're trying to take it and elevate it. But again, it's the idea. That was a group, 25 of us meet every Thursday, um, okay. all from different industries. And, you know, we kind of get together and do these things, you know, whatever, you know, talk business and all that stuff. But how do we get it where it's like anything else? How do we grow that up to we can get this group that is, one, a little bit more prestigious than what it is because people don't even know about it. So how do we build this up where now the demand for that group gets higher? So a lot of it is the name recognition and a lot of it is the perception. Um, and when people go in, like the perception, I mean, the reality is great, but we want the perception to be even better than the reality in the sense that, um, or at least, in, you know, be equal, where someone would look at that group and say, I want to be a part of that group, or anybody that's in that group is, a, you know, is a, a player kind of person. And how do I get myself associated with them? When you have that, that opens up opportunity. And it's the same, it's the same, it's, it's, we talk about demand, like, Think, think about personal training. How do you become a personal trainer that can charge, you know, 200 X what the industry averages because they built up a name for themselves. Are they any better than the person down below? Maybe knowledge wise, not much different, but we talked about the marketing, the know-how getting your name out there is going to go from, it's going to slide you from here to here may not slide you here to here, but it's going to slide you here to here in regarding, you know, compensation for what you're, you've done. Um, knowledge wise, Again, you, you learn, but if somebody's going to go that distance, they're going to have the knowledge. But think of a music industry. 
how many really good singers do you know? And how many really good singers aren't as aren't making as much money as Post Malone? And, and that's it. And then, you know, mm-hmm. Post Malone. I think I I just know this because he's talking on Rogan. He goes, "I'm really good at auto tune." And like, but, but he owns it. But at the end of the day, he's marketing himself, and he's on these you know these Super Bowl commercials, and he's in all these like you know you know high profile music videos and everything else. And then you have this person that went on the American Idol that can sing their butt off, and they're not going to be even close to that person. They're still waiting tables. And that's it. And I know trainers. I can. And I know trainers who I would hire them, but I know what I'm. I know who I'd want to hire. But the normal person is going to look at this, and then they're going to look at the Instagram model, and it's like, well, I, I mean, I know who I'm going to think I want to hire, and mm-hmm. it's just it's solely because they market themselves better. And like you said, there's no the trainers who I know who don't market themselves well might be the most knowledgeable people in fitness that I've ever come across, but. They are not the they're not they're not knowledgeable, and when it comes to the whole business aspect of the thing, and that's where you have to be able to kind of mesh those two ideas together. I mean, yourself and your knowledge is one thing, but how do you sell yourself to the to the public? And that's a whole other skill on top of being good at whatever your niche is, whatever your field is. I I would say it's even more important. I mean, I the yeah. the, the real like for me, real estate ten years, I've learned a lot, and and I would say I can probably figure out. 95 to 99% of scenarios within real estate. Um, there's certain things I got to ask questions on and stuff, but at the end of the day, it's very small. I can get through my day to day pretty much out having to look anything up when it comes to marketing. I'm looking up a ton right now because I know my ability to get better. My real estate knowledge like, is, is pretty darn close. Like I'm, I'm close to tapping it out. I have a, you know, I have that small last few percentage points that I could get really, really good. Um, and that will come and that will happen. Um, and that's mostly experience, but the marketing, when I look at, here's my room for growth of, you know, my room for growth of real estate's here and I'm here room for growth. The marketing's here and I'm probably here, you know, and then you look at that as like, I have so much more to go and so much more to give. Part of me is like, how do I leverage? How do I leverage that? How do I leverage the time? Like, you know, I now have an assistant. I get another girl that does the closing. So like I'm taking time off, delegating stuff off my plate, which I'll be honest, I've spent some, some time this morning researching, um, film. Okay. How does that yeah. like? Why am I a realtor? Why am I spending more time researching film? I'm fine. I'm I'm, I'm delegating the tasks I got to do. I did all the upfront work for real estate, all the like the knowledge base, all the paperwork, all the logistics stuff on the back end. Anybody can do that. Um, you don't need to have ten years of experience to do that. But now I'm sitting there. It's like, how do I learn from people with five, ten, twenty, thirty years of experience in the film industry, and how do I bring it into real estate just to get a leg up in marketing? And that's mm-hmm. what I. That's what I love, but then that's also the stuff that I'm sitting there like constantly learning, and you know, like I'm charging up my gimbal here because I'm sick of shaky footage. Like this, <laughs> like well, and that kind of thing too, where you're marketing—that's an ever-evolving thing. Um, I think the difference between now what we see online and what people, what normal people are doing to market themselves compared to what just a year, two years ago. It's tenfold imp- impressive because you can go on your phone alone and you can have, you can put videos together and you can do all these different effects and all of a sudden you have I mean, many movies that people are making on their phone to put up on their Instagram just to get their name out there. So the competition level has been risen and rising, 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 and rising, and you have to stay relevant. And so but, I think it's necessary for you to to delegate and then learn about these other things. Yeah, I mean, and you invested in, like you said, the the phone idea. My first videos up until probably a year and a half ago were shot on an iPhone, and mm-hmm. they were good. They, they were pretty good photos. Then I was like, hey, I'm going to get a camera because the camera, I can do stuff. And now I'm learning how to really – I want to learn how to really use the camera. I'm starting like I'm surface level, but 
I mean, I got boxes here of lights and tripods and I got a gimbal and a drone and I got all these things coming in and that's going to elevate what I can do. But when you're just starting out, you know, your phone is great. Your phone can take a lot of footage, uh, you know, and be honest, some of the newer phones, you can do 4k and do some, you know, change the frames per second and everything else. So, um, and then a lot of it's just knowledge, like don't take photos into the light. If you want to have a blurry, you know, dark (laughs) figure, like, I mean, it's very, I know it sounds like it kind of sounds self-explanatory, but I made that mistake up until like a year ago. Exactly. People still do. It's like, Oh dude, let's take a photo. Like, like, I, I don't know if you were here, you know, maybe you were here when I was trying to get like getting a photo of you or any get people on the podcast. I'm like, hey, stand here. Don't stand there. Mm-hmm. I'm taking a photo into the light. I said, stand mm-hmm. here. I got a little natural light coming. That's why I kind of turned this like this and you got some natural light coming on me versus me being tucked over in this corner and looking dark. Yep. Also, I've learned about depth too. I know it sounds depth. crazy. A little depth <laughs> for things. So now you get a little view. I got to, I can get a little better with it. Maybe do something like that. But also show my, uh, no. my Michael Scott yeah. poster right there. I have the exact same one to tell you the truth in my RV the yeah. the Wayne Gretzky yeah I love it so much um and you're right and and it is those little things that you wouldn't think of but then you see these professional photos or videos you're like man how do they do this and they'll show you the, like the five or six tricks that you can do to turn the whole feeling of the video or the photo into a whole different thing and I'm guessing with with realtor with realty realty real real estate realtor real estate yeah turns yeah. a person real estate they call it real yeah, estate yeah real estate the I mean the picture is more important than anything. That's going to draw the people into looking at the actual listing, and so that becomes even more elevated. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of cool. Like I I went to school for um, supply chain management, so I had nothing to do with either field. And then um, now that I kicked myself, like if I was knew what I was going to do back then and knew how important marketing was, but again, this was ten years ago. Marketing was not the same back then as it is now. Like we. I mean, I graduated uh, college before Instagram was even a thing, you know, before like these weren't even around at that time. So, I mean, not that we're super old, but we were just before that, that uh, yeah. period. And to sit there and like, I learned some knowledge, but I wish I would have had marketing, a marketing background stepping in. Uh, but I'll be honest, I've had marketing interns. I've had different people from the college and, you know, the amount of stuff that I've just self-taught my, myself is more relevant than what they're learning. And there's, that's obviously a problem, but then that, that just shows like, if you want to get good at something, you just have to stay on top of it and have to really learn that field. And you, again, Google and YouTube, I'm telling you, you can get a master's degree in those two things. You can PhD, whatever you want to call it. I mean, there's so much good resources out there. And eventually, once you get a trained eye, you can filter through kind of the bullshit stuff. But you can, you know, you really figure out, you know, you can you can figure out the the, the real, you know, the, the pros from the, the amateurs. And you can make a really good start online. I mean, there's infinite knowledge. And so if you have... If you're just starting in any field, I mean, just the YouTube videos, the how-to videos, all of a sudden your knowledge in any field is just tenfold of what it was just a week ago. And so getting online, doing the work, it pays off almost immediately. Um, But I want to hop into actual selling houses because this is something I don't know about. Um, and us being and us being young 30 year olds, I think there are people who are going to listen to this who are around the same age demographic that are going to start or are in the process of buying a house somewhere in the country. And so tell me, first and foremost, like I've never even talked to a realtor. I have no need to. What is the process start? How, and where does it go from your end? Yeah, I mean, if, if you're looking to buy a home um, and I'll kind of go over this process fairly quick because I think there's something that's even better for a lot of the listeners we'll, we'll dive into. But the whole idea is if you want to find a home, your best bet is to contact a realtor. Um, 
Usually what you want to do, you can do a couple things. You can obviously do some research in the area to see who's actually good, has good reviews or a good sales record. Um, or a lot of the times too, you know, word of mouth is like anything else. Like, you know, who'd you use or who would you recommend if you, if you know people in the area, that's a lot of times how you get clients. Um, so you're, you do want to have what we call buyer's agents. So if you're going to look for homes, use one buyer agent. Don't call the listing agents. Don't, you know, all of a sudden you're going to call, you want 10 showings, you're going to call 10 different people. Find one buyer agent. They will do that work for you. You don't have to pay them, okay? Pretty much everywhere around the country. I don't know if, I mean, you might have a retainer fee here and there, but for the most part, the commission's always paid by the seller to the selling, the seller's broker. And then the seller's broker, we call it a co-broke, pays the buyer, um, the buyer's brokerage who represented the buyer. So when you're talking about using an agent to help you find a home, you, they actually work for free until the home closes. Um, the listing agent does too, but there's obviously more leverage on the listing side because you actually have the product versus trying to go around and find it with the buyer. But from a buyer's agent perspective, yes, you always want to definitely work with somebody. Um, the number one thing though, you find an agent that's totally fine. What you want, actually want to do even before that is talk to a lender. Find out how much you can get you can, you actually can afford and what your budget is and and all the finances and what your out of pocket costs are going to be. How much money do you need for a down payment? How much money do you need for closing costs? The hardest thing for most people to get into a home is your down payment and your closing costs. Okay, it's not it's not the monthly payment. Your monthly payment might be the same or less than what you're paying right now for rent. Mm -hmm. the, the hard part is your down payment and your closing costs. And again, that's dependent on taxes. You live in New York State. If you live in New York State or California, you will pay a lot of taxes and it sucks, but if you live in other parts of the country, some of them have very, I mean, there's places I know in the country, you can buy a house twice as much as you can here and pay less in taxes by like half. And it's wow. insane. Yeah. It's just, it's just the different tax rates. And, uh, so really kind of understanding that your agent will know that, you know, I'm not going to give you like you're in Alabama. I have no clue how Alabama's market is. I, you know, I'm sure within a, a day of researching it, I could probably help you out pretty good because real estate's the same everywhere. It's just a matter, matter of what's the numbers we're working with. Meaning, you know, the theory of real estate up where we are could be the same as if you're in a place that has a four, you know, four times as high average price point. Um, but, but the whole idea of real estate buyers and sellers negotiating, you know, strategy, everything like that, it's all the same. It's just the numbers. You just move them up and down on the scale. Mm -hmm. um, the thing I wanted to, and that's, the basics in a nutshell. I don't want to go too much in the weeds, but real, realistically, it's a pretty easy process. Know your numbers with the bank, get qualified, um, and then and that's free. They're not going to charge you to talk to them, and then find an agent. And I would say your best bet is do a little research on them. Um, and it depends who they are. I mean, I'm on a lot of social media sites, so people can find me very easily. Um, I would probably value that if I was going somewhere, just because I'm, you know, I consider myself younger, but I consider I see the value in that. Um, some people don't, you know, some older people, they want that, you know, middle-aged person that's been doing it for 30 years. And I think because they had the experience and which could be true. I mean, I've done this for 10 years and I've done it pretty hard for 10 years. So I've seen a lot of stuff. Um, so I don't think eight or years in the business matter as much as actual sales and, and what you've done in those 10 years. Um, but the thing I want to talk about, like, like people like you or, or people that are haven't bought a home yet and maybe thinking about buying a home. Decide number one, buying a home is a long-term commitment for the most part. Um, now there's people can flip homes and buy homes and renovate them and flip them. You can do that. And, and that's fine. Um, if you're not in that boat, you know, find a place like you, you're a perfect example. And if you're going to buy a home and then potentially have the idea of renting it, that's great. 
knowing you, you're still kind of in the, the mode of like, I'm going to travel and I'm just going to kind of do my thing. I would never suggest buying for you at this point because you don't want to establish yourself and you don't want to, you know, put your roots anywhere currently or anchor down somewhere. Now, if you were, say you bought a place, say you go back to Texas and you buy a place there and you buy a place in Austin. Okay. You have a place, obviously Austin's very, um, you know, starting to boom. You can, you probably have no issue renting that out. Well, if you can rent it out, that's great. But then you decide, do I want to be a traveling landlord where, you know, they don't even know where you live, you know, and that, or you don't even know what country you're in if you're traveling. And that's stuff that you, you can certainly do, you know, maybe you want to talk to a, uh, you know, property manager at that point. Um, That would be the only idea if you were to buy it, it'd be a buy and hold strategy where you could use it as potential uh, rental. Um, Mm. If you buy a home, turn around to sell it very fast. So say you sell it within a year or two. The problem a lot of people have is if you don't have a lot of equity built up, equity meaning your down payment or your money being paid towards the principal of the uh, of the um, of your mortgage, then you know say you buy a home for three hundred thousand, okay, that's great. But if you only put five percent down and you know you only paid a couple, you know maybe ten thousand dollars off on your mortgage. And next thing you know, you only have about forty thousand um, dollars. Not even that. Maybe you have twenty thousand dollars invested in this property. Okay. Well, when it comes time to sell and you start paying the closing costs and everything else, maybe the value haven't got, hasn't gone up in that property over the year or two that you're in. Maybe you're in kind of a market that's a buyer's market or an equilibrium kind of market, and its prices have stayed steady or dropped. You could be in an issue where you turn around the sell and you're losing money. Um, now, can you buy a house somewhere and within a year or two the prices go up 20 percent? And you sell and make a profit. Certainly, that can happen. Um, but again, that's stuff to know about your local market. Like we're seeing that trend happen here. The prices are going up. People are able to buy and sell within a year or two, and not have much of a penalty. When I first got in the business, to be honest, ten years ago, which is right after the recession, you know, if somebody was selling in a year or two, that could be the that basically could mean you're going into foreclosure because you couldn't you weren't going to get your money back out of it. Yeah. Because the prices were dropping. You know, you buy it, you bought it high, and all of a sudden, a couple years later, I can't make payment. Got to sell it. Now you're selling at twenty percent, thirty percent lower than what the value was when you bought it. Like you're you're not not in great shape there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense too. And so that's another thing. I I, I hear these buzzwords. For me, they're buzzwords because I don't know what they mean, but I can repeat them in circles that I have conversations with. Where it's like, oh yeah, it's a buyer's market right now. I have no idea what I'm saying, but I can okay. just say that, and people are like, so, oh yeah, he yeah he's he's educated. So, okay. Oh, yeah, exactly. Just n- and drop a few terms, you know, yeah. a little glossary of real estate. So, <laughs> uh, okay. So a, a buyer's market, basically in a nutshell, a buyer's market favors the buyer, a seller's market favors the seller. Okay. So when they say a buyer's market, we're talking about supply and demand. So in a buyer's market, there was a ton of homes for sale. Okay. All these homes for sale and there's not a lot of buyers. So what happens is the buyer can really pick out of all these homes that they want. Flip that. So this was 10 years ago, at least up in upstate New York, 10 years ago, and probably a lot of places in the country was a buyer's market. People had to sell. They couldn't hold on to their homes. They're you know, um, upside down on their mortgage. Buyers could come in and they could go look at homes and they could wait a week or two, go back and look at the same homes, and look at more homes and have all these options and not be in competition with bids. So now up here, we've completely flipped that. There's not a lot of homes. The, mar- the inventory is very, very low. So the amount of homes for sale on this market is lower than we've ever seen. And there's a lot of people right now that can afford to buy a home. There's a lot of people that have saved up and a lot of people that are doing well. 
and they they can afford to and they want to buy a home. The problem is trying to find a home that they can purchase. So we're running into problems where it's like, hey, listen, I've been looking for six months, seven months, a year. We want to buy a home. We probably only looked at three or four homes in an entire year because that's as many that actually have come on, which that so right now is considered a seller's market, meaning the inventory is low. Um, but because the inventory is low, the benefit is the seller is now going to have more demand for their home. So realistically, a buyer's market doesn't mean that the, the buyer's market can mean the price is low for a buyer, but it also means the competition for homes is low. So the buyers aren't really up against much. The seller, a seller's market means the price is high just because the homes are low. So the price standpoint tends to go higher. It's like anything if there's a, you know, there's a reduction in the amount of goods for sale and a lot of people want that good, it is going to go up in price. And if you flip that, obviously the price will drop with that case when there's an excess of, of goods being sold. So kind of basic economics, economic yeah. 101. Uh, but once you understand the cause and effect of, of the you know, real estate economics, it's, you can follow it. So buyer's market, it's a better time to buy. Seller's market, it's a better time to sell. As a realtor, what one do you like? I can see there's um, benefits to both, I would assume. So, yeah. So uh, I hate a buyer's market. That's the worst okay. market to be in. Um, the reason being is there's a bunch of homes, but it's trying to find buyers that want homes, which is tough. Mm -hmm. And then also when it's the sellers that are trying to sell a home and they can't find buyers, then we're kind of in this like, eh, it's not in a good spot. The best, the best market to be in was about two years ago here. And if you take the spectrum, so buyer's market, the seller's market, and here's right in equilibrium, I like it just left of center towards, or right, I don't know which side of the screen you're looking at, but I like it a little <laughs> bit more towards the seller side. The reason okay. being is um, we're in a housing shortage right now, and that's not good because we have people that want to buy and can't buy, and you know, things, you know, whether they're trying to build or they're moving away and stuff like that because they can't find housing, that's not a good thing. When it's too much to the buyer's side, then it becomes kind of this, you know, very, nothing's really happening because buyers are buying, but there's not, um, there's so many homes for sale that, and not a lot of buyers that it, that could be a problem. So just a little bit fate favoring the sellers is where I like it. Um, I like to have multiple offers here and there, but not every deal. Um, mm -hmm. cause that gets stressful if you're on the buy side. If you're, all you do is listings. I've had a very good year as representing list, uh, sellers um, so I've benefited this year on a few just because like, Hey, we've had some multiple offers and the price is going higher than asking price, um, which is good. But then you sympathize with the your buyers that you're working with because it is difficult. Yeah. Um, and like right now the housing market for sellers and for you is good. Is there a proverbial bubble that is waiting to burst? Cause that's all I've also heard that so, is being talked about. Yeah. So this is one thing that I'm kind of keeping an eye on because going like right now, everything's not bad. We, at least in our market, um, we COVID kind of shut stuff down. Uh, March 20th was my last day actually seeing people. I couldn't actually see clients again until June 1st. So we had about two, about nine weeks, nine and a half weeks um, where we couldn't see any clients face to face. We were still able to kind of coordinate showings, even though we couldn't meet with people. Sellers were fine with buyers going in. And, it, you know, we, we almost were like dispatchers more than we were actually going to the houses with people. Um, we got through that fine. So I looked at this, and I've been saying this for probably a year, year or two now. We're only going to see a decline in our seller's market if something cripples our economy outside the real estate space. And what I mean by that is 
13 years ago, 2007. Mm -hmm. So if anybody's ever seen the movie, the big short, um, which is a great movie, you know, Christian Bale and Steve Carell and Brad Pitt. Um, that was on the recession. That was on the subprime uh, lending, um, mortgage lending. And that honestly was a bunch of lenders not being responsible, giving out money when they shouldn't have. And what happened is banks got too greedy. And next thing you know, people couldn't keep up with it. And then we had this recession, biggest recession ever. Um, so what happened there, basically our own industry, because lenders work hand in hand with us, was our own demise. And I don't see that happening anymore because the guidelines for lending have gotten so strict that people that are able to buy a home are able to buy a home. There's no issue. Um, and I don't see, I don't see anything within our industry affecting our industry. But what I, again, and pushing that aside, cause that happened 13 years ago. What I do, I do look at is, okay, what outside of our industry that's going to affect the economy will have an effect on housing. Cause housing's housing at the end of the day, is an essential part of life. I mean, you need a house, you need food, you need shelter or part of shelter, you know? So when you look at, is there anything outside, um, I guess, our space that could affect our economy? Well, the coronavirus, obviously, it was probably the worst thing to hit our economy in a long time. So far, we're okay. Um, But again, part of that helped us out because we are in a seller's market. Had this happened in a buyer's market, I don't know. That would have been pretty nasty. Uh, but luckily, we were in a seller's market at the time. Um, my thing I'm curious about is, one, obviously, the election is tomorrow. I want to kind of see how that plays out because no matter who wins, it just you want to – which direction is the economy going to go? Which direction is you know um, all the money that was handed out? I mean how is that going to affect us? Because two things. You either make that money back or there's inflation rates, and all of a sudden that affects you know the economy. So – and again, I'm not that much into the economics there, so I don't. If somebody's yeah. smarter than me on that, they can explain it. But it's the idea that, you know, I'm really looking at what's the effect that this year is going to have potentially next year, and it's going to be the residual cause of what was happening over the last, um, you know, seven, six, seven months. Um, mm-hmm. So that's just something that I'm keeping an eye on. But could it happen? Certainly. And again, real estate's like the stock market; it goes up and down. Um, historically, the real Historically, over time, it's the same thing as if you were taking an index fund. Historically, you're going to make money. Real estate, historically, you're going to have, you know, if you bought a house 30 years ago, by the time you sell it, you know, 20, 30 years down the road, you're going to make money on it. It's the people that do it every day that you're like the day traders or people that flip, like, they're the ones that are more susceptible to, you know, the quick shifts in the market. And that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. I mean, if anything, if you think long term, things should improve, especially in a market like that where, I, how how old? I mean, up in the up upstate New York, it might be a little different, but down here or down in Texas, when I was living there, every house was new, and so if it was built in, I mean, anything before two thousand, it was looked at as an old house. Does yep. that play a big part, like in upstate New York, and the years that they're built and all the remodeling, and how does that all work? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, if you have a house that's older, I mean, there's some beautiful homes that were built in the '30s and '40s and '50s, and people, but people have. Up, have modernized them. Um, and I would say the big jump was probably in the late eighties, early nineties, the construction of the foundations, um, were at least up here were poured. Um, so what happened was you go back probably to 1930, nah, I'd say probably 1940s and earlier you had the stone foundation. So you go down the house you grew up in, I guarantee you had a stone foundation. Yeah. So you go down, you got probably a dirt floor, maybe a concrete floor, but it's going to be kind of, you know, a little kind of wavy, um, and some cracks, and then you're going to have, you know, kind of the, the, you know, the stones and all the mortar and stuff around it. 
Um, that's very common. You get seepage, you get water that drains in. People have sump pumps and you might have some water issues and dampness. So those are the old houses. So those still are nightmares for inspections. And personally, I have no interest in buying a home that late in time. It's not okay. for me. But then you start going into and not anything bad. People love that style of home. It's just I'm not into the old styles of houses. Yeah, just yeah, not yeah. kind of my forte. But then so you go from um, probably the 40s and 50s, you start to see the introduction of block basements. Um, now, not to be like nerding out, but 1940s up to you know late 80s, early 90s started getting um, poured. Poured has been pretty much all the way up until now. There's some variations here and there, but for the most part, it's considered poured. So the foundational integrity of most of the homes, I'd say in the 90s forward, are similar. Um, we do not have a lot of new construction up here. So when you talk about everything, you know, I would say anything after 2000s is considered extremely new for us. And I would even argue something in the 80s and 90s, you know, even though that's 30 to 40 years older or old, I still would say is a pretty solid home and it is, you know, definitely newer than our average. I, I don't know what our average home, but it's probably 1950s and 60s is probably the average. Um, I would love, I, for home inspection reasons and a bunch of reasons, I would love to go down and just sell a bunch of rows of condos. They're easy to comp out. Yeah, yeah. You have the demand, they're clean, they're up to date. You don't have to have people complaining that they got to fix things up. And I could see, I almost think that, you know, I got, I got broker friends around the country that you know, a lot of them deal with these markets and stuff. And I mean, they obviously have their own pros and cons, but I, I don't know. I just think that, like, I think I think we're a little bit harder up here when you got to deal with all these like crappy homes. You know what I mean? So it's like some, sometimes I think some of those I say crappy homes, but the, you know, old homes that have these inspection yeah. issues and maybe have to be remodeled and updated, and you know, the elements. And this this is a it's a tough market to sell real estate because there's and again it's rural, so you got to think. You know, we talk about you've lived in places that if you look in a community. Hey, it's easy. You can comp out that community because there's probably 10 homes that sold in that community or 20, you know, within the last six months. Boom. Easy. I got those comps. Let's do it. Up here, you got to make a lot more adjustments because you might have only 10 that have sold in that entire school district. And as you know, up here, school districts for you to, you know, drive from one end to the other can take you a solid 20 minutes. You yeah. know, so then and that's not 20 minutes of like city traffic. That's like 20, <laughs> 20 miles, 20 minutes, like 65 yeah. miles an hour. Yeah. 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 Um, so it's it's uh, yeah, I would love to be in that one of those markets. Do you do you see yourself getting into one of those markets? Can you, as a realtor up there, can you sell houses in other places easily, or is it not really feasible? No, no. So it's uh, like my my wife does a massage. Like you, it's the same thing. Like you have to be if you you need a license in every state. I think uh -huh. someone told me New York. There's actually a couple states that would honor our test. Um, mm -hmm. which I have to research that because I never have. But um, do I see? venturing venturing out of upstate new york at some point um i do i do i don't think i, I wouldn't personally get up and move my entire life for this yeah. but what i think it would be would be i would split time um and or i you, again with internet and everything else i can run a lot of stuff through meetings like this and you know whether i had to hop on a plane and fly somewhere a couple times a year or you know once a month for you know for a couple of days i'm sure i can do that so um Yes, I think at some point in time I will be selling real estate or have my hand in real estate in other areas of the country, um, not just in upstate New York. Um, and I mean, I want to venture in a few other spots throughout our state first. And then from there, there's a couple states that I would potentially kind of throw my hat in the ring. Um, a lot of it being, though, already having a little bit of connections with other brokers in other parts of the country. Um, so I don't think I would just go establish myself brand new.
So, but yeah, yes, yeah. Then at that point, I'd have to take, I'd have to take that. Like, even if I wanted to sell in Vermont, which is literally, I mean, I can literally see Vermont from my desk. Um, mm-hmm. I would need an entire new license to do that. Wow. Okay. And then, it, yeah, so that makes things, there's, there's hoops to hop, there's hoops to jump through, obviously, for everything. Yeah, I think it's more of a moneymaker and time waster. I mean, it's all the same knowledge for the most part. Yeah. You might have a couple different disclosures, but it's, yeah. I mean, I, I literally could learn it probably in a couple hours, you know, in a, in a classroom versus a whole test, but it is a whole course, but it is what it is. What does a test entail to, I mean, to become a realtor? So I always, I always shit on our test because this is what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I hate it. And I don't know about other parts of the country, but if you take real estate in New York, you know what I'm talking about. So you take a course, it's a 75 hour course. You can take it in person or you can take it online. Obviously, Plattsburgh does not just do the course in person. That's in the bigger areas of, of the state. So we take it online and it is, think about 75 hours of staring at a computer screen, reading PowerPoints and that's it. That's 75 hours. So it's boring. And I actually did it in college. Um, Full disclosure, I might have been doing it in class. Um, actually, I was definitely doing it in class, so I wasn't really paying attention <laughs> to my actual major, but um, I was just grinding to get it done. Um, but once you get to the course, the course, I think, is like 75 or 100 questions. It's all multiple choice. And the thing that kills me about the course, there's a difference. There's you're, you're taking or about the test. You're taking the course. You take the test to pass the course. So it's kind of like think about high school and you had to take – Maybe you had to take a, uh, a science regent, okay? You had to know enough on the test, on the course, to pass the test. As soon as we left, you know, the gymnasium that day and we were done our state test, all that knowledge went out the door with Carolyn. And I still don't remember it to this day. That's a lot of, like, what the real estate course and test is. What happens is you take the test. You're great. You're licensed. Perfect. You can sell any home anywhere in New York State. Good for you. And then what's your first question? I don't, what do I do? Like, that's mm-hmm. it. You don't know what to do. So – I always tell anybody that's coming on, take your course. It's boring. You know, do what you got to do, pass the test, you know, study or whatever, just memorize what you lo- listen to, pass the test, and then the work begins. And a lot of times I try to get the agents that are taking the course or future agents, like come in and train with us, come to tests yeah. or come do our, um, you know, come to trainings or come shadow me or come ask questions. Like learn what you can. So by the time you get into real estate, you can kind of jump right in and you don't have to start from, you know, like, um, yeah. And- yeah the on-the-job training is invaluable and i think at least for me like those courses for I mean, you, you kind of have to do the same thing jump to the same hoops for training is that you had to take these tests just so you can get certified just so you can go work with somebody but they also do open up a bunch of questions that you might have and so at least you're getting a background knowledge to when you can go work with you and, and shadow you it's like oh why do we do this why do we do that and if you're taking any value from these courses, that might be it might be valuable enough just for the questions that it'll open up in the future. Because when I started training, I wouldn't wouldn't know what to ask at least. And at least I would be like, okay, well, I want to know why this happens. So maybe a new realtor comes in, and why do we have to do it this way? What is the standards about doing it this way? What does New York State make me do so I can close this house? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, yeah I mean, oh, and I, oh, well, I was gonna say, like, I mean, if you you learn the course gets you familiar familiar with the the lingo for the most part. I mean, it gets like what's an appraisal and what's an inspection and what's you know um, whether it be insurance or disclosures or fair housing. Like you learn that stuff, and that's not totally um, stuff you like. Most of the stuff on the course, it's good. I have knowledge of it. Mm-hmm. Is it something that's going to affect how I you know like make a career or make money? No. 
So the thing is, and I, I kind of, the problem in our industry is so many agents focus on like the coursework and, the, and like real estate law and all this stuff. And like at the end of the day, real estate law is very pretty simple. Like don't do anything that's shady and you're probably good. And like, you know, and, and there's some other stuff, but like at the end of the day, it's kind of like, you know, the fair housing, like, you know, I took, a, I had to take continuing ad a couple of weeks ago. It was like an eight hour thing and like three hours was on fair housing. And I could sum it up in do not discriminate against anybody. And that was very simple. Like there's a sentence, just follow that. If it sounds yeah. like you're discriminating against somebody, then you're breaking the law. And the problem is you take all these courses and tests to tell people about 50 different scenarios where you can just boil it down to they discriminate against somebody. And I, you know, I guess maybe you want to know the difference, but like, we kind of know who you can't discriminate against, you know, like it's, you know, like, why didn't you sell to that person? Because they're a certain race or because they're handicapped and like, you can't do that. And like, not just in real estate, but in life. So it's like, in world, so, yeah. Yeah. So like a lot of this stuff, is kind of goofy to me is that what they focus so much on, but that's what they know. But then it's like, I, yes, you need that background, but that's like 10% of the knowledge you need. And that's really just to cover your base and make sure you're not, you know, doing anything illegal. But again, it's hard to do stuff illegal in this industry because a lot of it's just common sense. Like, you know, be a good person and don't, you know, again, don't be shady and you're fine. And then the other 90%, which actually you can make a living doing because most realtors, they're out of the business in one or two years. It's tough. Yeah. It's easy to get into. It's tough to stay in. And then the ones that can stay in over, you know, years and years in different markets and stuff like that, those are the ones that are good. And that's why like, I have a lot of respect for the ones that have been doing this for 20, 30 years, because I'm like, okay, even 15, 20, 30 years, they've gone through the recession, they've come back out and they've, you know, and they can adapt and they're good and they can overcome whatever that problem is. But, um, you need to know once you get on your biggest thing, this is any job is you got to find a mentor. You got to find someone that's in that field and literally will just lay the groundwork for you. And then you build off of it and you put your own style and, you know, you put your own spin on it, but you need someone there to kind of point you in the right direction. And it's like anything else. Like why, again, I talk about filmmaking. I'm not just going to take my camera out and hit a bunch of buttons and shoot. I'm going to be like, well, what's this dial mean? And what does all these codes mean? Boom, boom, boom. Okay. Why? And then again, why do I have to hit this one over that one? Well, if you go to this number, it opens up and there's more light to the photo, which makes you have, you know, blur the background out. So now you can have more focus on the subject. Oh, cool. I don't want to know all the nitty gritty. I want to know like what's the cause and effect. So, okay, perfect. Do this. Bam. Photo looks like this. I'm in. Like, that's just how my brain works. I just want it simple. I don't want to, I, like, I want to know how yeah. it works, but not like, yeah, you know, I mean, so detailed. You're not the filmmaker. You're not sitting there having to make uh, a Michael Bay type film. I mean, you just need yeah, to I'm not make Michael something. Bay. Yeah. And that's action. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, and that's another thing that it seems to me every week or every two weeks, I'm getting a new message from a friend of mine who's, hey, if you're interested in buying a house, just let me know. I just got my realtor's license and I'm selling houses now. What, what is some advice, the top advice you can think of to give to all these people? And what's the difference? What makes it the difference between people who stay in the industry for 30 years and the people who fizz it out after maybe only selling a house or never selling a house? Okay, so you're talking about like a new agent? Like what would you do yeah. to these new agents? So okay, yes. word of advice, number one, is that's a good start, is let everybody know that you're in real, real estate. Um, obviously do it in a tasteful way and not um, just like spam everybody and say buy a house from me. But it, you know, we've been in the conversations like, hey, I got my real estate license. Or if you know people that are semi-connected, call them up and be like, hey, listen, I'm in my real, I'm an agent. You know, if you have anybody, anybody in mind, please keep me in mind. And um, you do want to get that. You want, you want people to know that you are in real estate. The last thing you want to do is all of a sudden you're one of your friends buys a home and like, dude, I could have helped you out. I'm like, I didn't even know you were in real estate or mm -hmm. otherwise I would have. That's like the worst thing to happen. Mm -hmm. 
The biggest one out of anybody is you have to find a mentor. And I know that kind of is a big blanket statement, but if you find a mentor, they're going to open up so many doors for you because they're going to, they're going to speed up the learning process. They're going to take away, you know, a lot of the, the bumps down the road. You're going to still want those and still have them, but you know, don't make dumb mistakes, but you can, you know, don't make mistakes that easily could have been avoided. Make mistakes, but don't, you know, don't, there's, there's a lot of mistakes that you can, you don't need to make as a realtor yeah. that you should have a, a mentor show you, um, social media, do a social media account. And again, when you're doing social media, don't, don't do the social media where you're standing outside your Lamborghini flashing like, like money out. Like, no, you, you do. You haven't sold shit. I know you haven't. Like you just got your license. Like I, I know the industry. So what's going to happen is what I think is more authentic is tell people like, listen, I just got my license. I haven't sold a home. I'm just learning. Um, but be honest and authentic and always think in your market. This is what I did 10 years ago. Okay. We had a small market. So if you're in real estate listening to this, um, this might seem laughable, but we only have about 150 people on our, on our entire board. So that we had about 150 people in like our County that sell real estate. I looked at it 10 years ago. Okay. I'm probably in the bottom 10 people on the board. Okay. How do I become number one? And this is what I thought. I said, okay, how do I go from bottom 10% to how do I go to number one? So I thought in my head, how am I better than 150 other people? Well, mm -hmm. 10 years ago, I wasn't. So 10 years ago, I said, what, what was, where was my competitive advantage? Okay. Well, my competitive advantage was I was young, willing to work hard. I did what I said I was going to do. Um, I got a great book right here. It said, because I said I would basically just said, Hey, listen, what do you need? Perfect. I'll do that for you. And it was just, you know, a lot of it was just facilitating questions and answers and stuff and just being, you know, um, you know, being responsive and being available and then talking to people like following up with people and, I just had a, I listed this lady's house and I got, I'm doing a video on this soon. I listed this lady's house a week and a half ago. I looked in my notes. The first time I made contact with this lady was my first month in real estate 10 years ago. And what's crazy about that is when I tell people do not give up on somebody, I, and it wasn't like I just like talked to her once and she came back mm -hmm. 10 years. I have conversations over 10 years in my notes of every single time I called this lady, probably 50, 60, 70 times I've wow. reached out to this lady over 10 years and we've talked about stuff and I've helped her with her mom's sale and kind of like, not like with her sale, but helping her coordinate it out of, out of a town and mm -hmm. all of it was basically the stuff. And then bam, I got, I got the listing. So the whole idea is don't give up on that stuff. But when you're talking about a new agent, like document the journey getting into real estate, because if you were like me, how are you going to go from, you know, bottom person on the totem pole, which you will be to how do you become number one? Well, I'll tell you right now, number one is tough to get to. It's not like mm -hmm. something that you can just, you know, show up and roll in. Um, I, you know, it's taken, well, it's taken me 10 years to get to that point. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and realistically, it's like, well, now I have, you know, a couple, I have a, someone helping me. I have someone working for me. I have, some, you know, and I know a lot of people and I put my name out there and I've done a lot of stuff over 10 years to leverage and get my name out, which is what we start, started talking about in the beginning of the podcast. But, you know, as a first time agent, find a mentor, put yourself on social media and let people know you do real estate, but be authentic. Don't come in and say, I'm this great agent, but let me help you buy and sell. Hey, if you need help, let me buy and sell. You can say that. That's fine. But realistically, go out and show people. Be like, hey, this is me. You know, this is my first week in real estate. This is what it looked like. And you can make a little spoof about it. Hey, sat at my desk, called two people, and then watched, you know, YouTube videos on Ryan Serhant to figure out how the heck I could do real estate. Like, hey, that's a great if you ask me. Like, that's a, that's what you should be doing. You know, maybe maybe you seek, you seek out a, 
a lender or a friend that you know is in the business and take them out for lunch and pick their brain. Like, you know, co contact people and like, again, give them something of value. Hey, if I can buy you a lunch or something or a coffee, can you, mm -hmm. can I have a half hour of your time to, you know, pick your brain about something like anybody that's successful wants to give back. So if you're someone that reaches out, if, if a kid reaches out to me and says, listen, I want to pick your brain about real estate. Perfect. Let's do it. I love talking about it. I love giving back to people. Um, I like shortening the learning curve for people. Um, now, what makes, and I should say, this ties in. So what to do as a new agent to an agent that has been doing it and has stayed in the market for, or stayed in the business for so long, is real estate's tough. You literally get dragged through the mud. It, you put in a lot of upfront work for very little compensation. Um, there's times where you will want to quit. There's times where you're just like, you know, screw this. It's not worth it, blah, blah, blah. I hate people. People don't like me. My feelings got hurt, all this stuff. You know, you got to get to a point, like if you're in sales, if you're in, especially real estate, you got to have a thick skin. Okay. Like it's not one, you can't take things personally. Again, it's, you know, it's business, you know, it's not, I try not to have any enemies, you know, as things happen where it might've pissed me off. Sure. I take the high road. I don't let it affect me. I don't let it sever my friendship with somebody. I'm just like, you know what? It is what it is. I still am very cordial to them. It guess what? It passes four years later. They want to buy a home. They buy a home through you or their friend does. And like, this happens all the time. So it's not like I'm like picking random you know, no, no. happenings, this, this will happen for you, but just make sure when you're getting early, you know, those early years, when you're getting dragged through the mud and you want to quit and, oh my God, I have three people pending and then one fell apart. And now the other one looks like it's going to fall apart. And now I don't know how I'm going to, you know, get the next sale. Like these are all real things. Um, you know, again, if you're going into real estate, don't quit your job, like spend a, you know, probably two to three years learning the business to you're able to step out of where you currently are and go into it. So you might have to do like a part-time deal, like 40 hours of work here, you know, 10 to 20 hours in real estate until slowly that just starts to shift like that. And then you get out of this job and do go full-time real estate. Um, the agents that stay in the business for a long time, number one, they are go-getters. They have a good, they have a good, uh, they have a drive in life. They want to you know, succeed. Um, especially again, agents that do this full-time. So when you look at 150 agents in our board, how many of them, are part-time, how many of them are on their second career, meaning they got a pension coming in from somewhere else and this is just kind of mm, keep them okay. busy, but they're not wait, they're not looking to pay bills. Me, I have married, have a third kid on the way. My wife works a little bit, but she stays at home with the kids a lot. So like I'm, you know, doing all this basically on me, you know, and, and I love it. I like having that responsibility, but I also have a responsibility that I can't slack off and not, yeah. not produce. So um, there's different levels of what you want to do. And I think the people that are ambitious and really have a goal set and goal in mind will stay in the business. Um, cause it is a revolving door, but people get in, it's like, Oh, I got the freedom. I can set my own schedule. I have, you know, I can, you know, I can make commission on these big houses. I get, you know, I go see these cool houses and I get paid a bunch of money to sell them. Like, that's great. But what happens when you sell two your first year and make like seven, eight thousand, ten $10,000 and like, you're not going to live off that. And then, mm -hmm. you know, so then it's like, okay. How much do you actually have to have? Well, even if you do one to two deals a month, like, which, and again, the thing about real estate is not like car sales. Like, you know, when you talk about like how many people sell a home a week, not many. Okay. okay. So then you go like how many people sell a home a month? Like I'd say the average agent in our market sells less than a home a month. You know oh, what I mean? And like, okay. so it's not like, it's not like homes are happening all the time. So then people think like, oh, they're this is easy. Like you just sell a home and make like six G's. I'm like, no, that's not how it works. Like you, 
you know, there's you split like a commission that comes in, you split up four ways. I'm not making, I wish I was making 6%. I'm not. So then you start talking like the 6% goes between two brokerages and then also goes between two, the agent and brokerage. So now you're down to four. Um, so then you start figuring out like, yes, can you make a lot of money in real estate? hundred percent. There's no cap to real estate. Like, like what I've done, I've just leveraged it. I've hired some, you know, we've hired someone on to help me and then boom, I can keep down. I can do more. And, but now I'm focusing a lot on building the company up. So that's, you know, that takes a lot of, that actually takes more time than my sales, to be honest, for real estate. So, um, but when you're doing all this, um, it's the people that can really buckle down and put the time and effort in, be focused and, and, and get over like the ups and downs of the market. And the thing is, if you keep doing stuff over and over again, the problem is too many people quit early. So like you doing um, personal training, even take away the personal training. Think about when you started working out. Like I remember when I first started like working out and like first time like lifting weights, like didn't know what I was doing. So you go from that to where you are now, like think about how many days and hours and sessions you put in from there to here and then say, okay, well, was I realistically going to get these, like say here's year one to now, was I going to get this amount of uh, results in that first like month? No, it's not going to happen. You're barely going to see, you'll see some results for sure, but you're going to see a very minuscule amount. And then what happens? I would say 90 days in, you see a lot, 60 or six months in, a year in, a year in is transformational for a lot of people. And and that's not even, I mean, and I don't have to explain this to you, but you, you know exactly that longevity. Um, it's all these little actions over and over again. And I call it the snowball effect, meaning if you take a snowflake, your first day on the job or first day trying something new, take that snowflake and at, at day one, you rotate it once. And guess what? It's barely noticeable. But if you spend 365 days rolling that snowflake, all of a sudden you got a small snowball. Well, now you spend another year rolling that snowball and you can see how it compoundly gets bigger. So your knowledge from year one to year two is a lot. Your knowledge from two to three is, or I should say your knowledge, but your, your success grows. And then all of a sudden two to three grows bigger. And every year you should ha be having these big jumps in success because you're building off of, you have more, you know, basically input, meaning time and effort and experiences being put in every year. So your output's going to be greater. Um, and that's what I look at every year. And I mean, it's held true to me, but I've also I'm not one of those people to get like complacent and be like, Hey, like, that's great. Like today I, uh, last year I had a record breaking year, so that's cool. So I'm just going to rest on my laurels and just hang out. I'm like, no, like how, okay. Calculate my numbers. How do I get better next year? That's it. Every year I can try to get better. And even if I don't hit my goals, I'm still gonna be better than I was the year before because my goals are always up. You know, I got a good margin. Like if this is this year, next year I want to be here. So if I don't get to here, if I get to here, well, guess what? I'm still better. So you know, if you just do that every day, um, it makes a difference for sure. It's just consistency. It's just like, don't, like, don't give up. Don't let your foot off the gas and just keep, you know, hammering. And let's say, I, and I want to jump off that where you say you set up your goals. When I first started my company down in Texas, uh, I worked backwards. I said, well, this is how much I want to make. This is how much, well, first of all, this is how much I need to make just to live. And then this is how much I want to make. And then I figured, well, this is how, what I have to charge. This is how many clients I need. Do you set your do you, when you're setting your goal up maybe for the year? Is that how you're working it too, or how are you doing it with your own personal spin on it? Yeah. So yes, I'm a goal guy. Um, I got numbers. I don't know. This little board has numbers on it. It's hard tough to see. I have a board right in front of me. That's this is my production over ten years. So I have it all tracked on like my personal business, and I have one over here. Well, you can't see my finger, but pointing that way. That's all my personal stuff this year. Um, I'm a big no. I'm big. Um, 
numbers guy. Um, now, and so far down the, like, I fill out this every week, which has like certain things I want to do each week and it has metrics okay. of what I want to do each week. So basically I can look at a glance and say, oh, wow, I haven't, um, you know, I haven't done as much social media posts or I haven't talked to as many people or I haven't had as much face-to-face appointments as I should have. And, and there's certain metrics on here that I'm still getting better at, but I know one of my goals is what I call throw a perfect game, which means fill this thing out completely, which if I do that, I will be doing very well. So, I mean, but it's, but it's there. So I know what to do. It's just, that might take me five years to pull that off, but it's something I'm going to constantly strive for. And maybe it's, I got to get one of those 12 metrics on, you know, autopilot where I know I'm going to talk to this many people each week, or I know I'm going to see this many people face to face each week. And I don't even have to think about it. I just, my systems and everything else is just set up to hit that. And then I start filtering in those new metrics and then eventually I hit them. And so, yes. You got, I, I think you have to, you got to reverse engineer. Like you just said, you go end in mind, work your way back. My 10 year goal was to be number one, work my way back, how to get there. You know, my next, my four year goal from this December is to be the number one uh, company in our area. How do we work back to th- that point right now? And, you know, and we're, we're on the right path. I can see it. Um, yeah. you know, and it, but you got to have the end in mind. Are you the number one guy up in North country right now? Sick man, agent, that's cool. Agent, agent, but agent, um, yeah, agent. But we just did the, uh, yeah. I mean, if I can, if I can end the year like I think I'm gonna end the year, I potentially could be, I could be twenty percent up on number two. What? <laughs> how many <laughs> houses is, are you? How many houses are you showing in a year? Oh, showing? Oh God, I don't know. Hundreds? Really? That many? Oh God, yeah. I mean, I my. My goal this year was was not I mean not humorous. This was actually just twenty percent growth, but it was sixty nine homes is what I wanted to hit. So okay. ideally, if I could hit seventy, would be really cool. I don't think I've ever seen anybody hit seventy in our market. Um, for I'm, selling, for I mean between buyers and sellers, it's like the amount of okay. homes, amount of homes. So it'd be over one a week that I would have. Okay. Um, I. I should be right on that number. Like right now, my based on my what I have pending and closed, I think I'm like right at that number, one ahead of that number, um, which would be insane if I could do that. But I remember my first year I sold three and I was like, how do I get up to like, so you can see how like that whole thing builds. And, uh, um, but my big focus right now, I would like to do this just to say that I did it. But my big focus now is how do we take our company and grow it. And as of right now, compared to um, last year, we are up more units units than anybody across the board, and we're up more dollar amount volume than anybody across the board. And that's not that's not um, I mean that's year that's a change over year. So we've actually produced not percentage of change, but this is actual amount percentage. We're way we're really far, far up, but like the dollar amount and the amount of homes we're up on every other mark every other company in our market um, from last year, and we were the same the year before. So like our growth is we've had the fastest growth for sure. So that's the thing that gets me most excited is like, how do we just, cause it's at this point, it's bigger than myself. So like, how do I go mm-hmm. for myself being well, I'm just cool. It's a personal goal I wanted, but um, realistically I've, I've changed that mindset. I've still wanted to do it for sure. But my number one goal over the last couple of years has been like finish strong on that, but definitely start laying the groundwork for the next, like at the time was a seven year goal. Now it will be, it's, be four years from December. Like I already have a date in mind. So like it's like, I'm down, to, down to that point. Like I actually have a physical date in my head of when that will happen. So it's like, yeah. And I think you should, I think you need to, because I mean, 
vague goals get vague results. And so if you can't pinpoint exactly what you want by the time you want it, well, then it might be it gets pushed back or you don't hit the number and you're like, ah, oh, that's okay. That's not that big a deal. So I like the fact that you are so <laughs> adamant about putting the exact numbers on everything. Did, did uh, I don't know if I asked you are, you, are you someone that visualizes a lot? As like, what do I want coming up in my future? Yeah. Or, yeah. So like, okay. So when, when you visualize something, like I used to do this, I used to do this as a kid too. So like now this wasn't anything new, but um, hypothetically um, we're, we're playing in a soccer game or we're playing in a, playing golf as a kid or something like that. Like I would play the game in my mind, like the week leading up or the night leading up or whatever, or a golf like leading up. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was, uh, I remember doing this our senior year when we were playing the state championship game. I remember the night before, like I was knowing that we were playing the state championship game. I remember like sitting there, like sleeping in bed or whatever in the hotel. And I remember like in my head, I could play the scenario and I was almost playing the game, like, like making stuff up, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't know how it was going to affect, but like the same thing, like, where am I going to be? Who's going to be the player in front of me? Who's going to be, you know, who's going to be my, you know, knowing my position, like who's going to be the center mid, who's going to be the, the right mid, who's going to be the you know, sweeper and stopper. And like, I could do all this stuff. And then I started playing my head. Well, what happens if a ball gets played over my head and I'm running back and back to the player and getting jammed up in the corner or, you know, someone falls down, I got slide over. Like I'm playing all these scenarios in my head the night before. And the whole idea was I was visualizing. So when that moment came, I already had it planned out in my head and obviously a lot of it's reaction. So I know this yeah. is not entirely true, but it's crazy when you when you do that. And I remember the calmest I've ever been before a game. I shit you not was the day of the home, of our um, our senior year playing in the state championship game. I remember warming up. This was back with uh, Kyle Reynolds. I remember kicking the ball with Kyle, and I remember juggling the ball with Kyle. And this is a state championship game. And I literally in my head, I I thought I'm like. I should be more nervous than I am right now. And I was excited. I was like pumped to play, yeah. but I wasn't nervous. And I was like, I was so excited to play because in my mind, as I know it sounds crazy, but like in my mind, we'd already won. And I was so convinced that we were going to win because like, just, I knew the players, I played the scenario. I'm like, we're, we're just going to win this. So it was almost like, it almost felt like we were doing like a, you know, like a victory lap kind of thing. I don't want to sound like cocky, but like in my mind, I was so like I convinced myself so much that we were going to win that I just felt so calm that I wasn't nervous. Like, are we going to lose? I was like, no, we're going to win. It's just like, how, how are we going to win by what, how much? And, and, you know, and one of those scenarios. So I do the same, I've taken that and I've done that throughout my life. And then I've taken that now to like my work because now I don't place, you know, anything, you know, if you know, I golf and that's about it. But like, then I, like, this is now my sport, like business is now my sport. So then I look at that and it's like, okay, how do how is business like in my mind? Like, how can I visualize? Like, could I visualize number one? Yes, I visualized number one 10 years ago. Okay. I didn't now were the details very, um, like, were the detail, what's the word? Like, were the details very, um, vivid at the time? No. Was I sitting in this office talking to you wearing this shirt with yeah, yeah. Michael Scott poster? No. But when you're thinking like number one, it was like, okay, well, what would my like, what roughly would my life look like at number one? What exactly. were the responsibilities? How many clients will I have? Like those kind of things where I could focus on it, but like who was my exact client? Yeah, like that stuff was, so there's a lot of stuff that was like, oh, just let it take shape. And this is before social media. This is before video. This is before mm-hmm. all that stuff. I'm like, I didn't know what I had to do. I just knew I was going to figure it out. And 
that visualization, I'm having the same visualization now of four years from now, that date in my mind, I'm like, okay, I know we're going to be there reverse engineer down. And the reason I pick these dates is because they're, I can hit, them. it's not like, it's not like I'm going to be number one next year. Like, no, 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 we won't yeah, be number one. No, next year. I know that. Realistic so, goal, yeah. yeah and, and too many people, one of my buddies said this to me, he goes, most people overestimate what they do in one year, but they underestimate what they'll do in 10. And the, the thing, the whole idea about that is Everybody wants stuff too quick. If you take my 10-year goal, again, as a 20-year-old thinking when I'm 30, which seemed old at that point, like when I'm 30, this is what I want to accomplish. Now, the crazy thing is I'm 30 with minus like a, like maybe a little slower uh, movement on some of the physical stuff. My mental acuity is way sharper now than it was at 20. And honestly, I feel way younger now than I did at 20. And I know it sounds weird, but I'm sure a lot of people do that. Like mentally, my mind is like I'm so fresh right now. And, and it's so fresh with more wisdom. And I like, I'm pumped for 40 and 50 and 60. Cause like, I think I'll be the same way. Um, but it's the idea that during that time, giving yourself time to do it and not beating yourself up on it. Cause you need it done in a year. Like why, why do we, anybody, why do we need anything in a year? Years going to go by like that. But if you set the groundwork, like you, when you said, Hey, I'm going to, you came in to do my podcast and I had to look and I'm like, has it been a year since you've been in here? Yeah. And it had, but it was like, wait, it literally felt like you were in here like four months ago. And, and that's a year and it would sound insane. And think about just you and I, our relationship in the last two years, you came in or a year and a half. Like I, that's, I hadn't seen you in forever. You came in, I was so pumped, met you, or met you, saw you again. And then boom, a year, like I followed you on your travels, saw you again. And then now you're gone. And now we're talking again. And that's in 13 months. So you talk it like you go from 10 years and all of a sudden 13 months, you've accomplished all this stuff in a very short amount of time. And I know on a surface, it seems small, but you know how it is. These are little things that add up over time. And it's just crazy when people are like, I just got to be done today. I'm like, no, it doesn't like five oh, years. Wow. You'll be whatever. I'll be 35 in five years. Like I got a ton of time. Like I'm pumped. The amount that I accomplished in 20 to 30 is going to be way less when I go from 30 to 40. And that's what I'm so jazzed up about. It's like that mm-hmm. next 10 years. I'm so pumped for it. Uh- and talking about Gary V, how you mentioned him earlier, he, there's an interview he's doing with somebody, and the guy asks, like, how old are you? And he's like, I'm 49. He's like, and the best thing about it is I feel like I'm just getting started. He's like, do you think this is how a 49 or whatever age would, would feel when you were a kid? And it's the same thing. Like, I feel my brain is more sharp than it's ever been, and I feel like I'm just getting involved into what I actually like to do, that I'm just looking forward to the next 10 years, the next 20 years, because – in this one little bit of the year, I was thinking I'm driving home today. I was, I'm down here. I'm down in Alabama, and I've driven all over this country already in the last couple of months. And then I was when I started this year, it was in another continent. I was like, man, I just fit this all into ten months. It's the the amount of stuff you can get done in five years if you just go to work. It's 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 unreal how much you can get done. And I and I think yeah, expanding your time frame and setting little minor goals is how you do it and and breaking it down piece by piece by piece because sometimes when I start worrying about where I'm going to be in 10 years it does seem intimidating it seems like it's going to be I can't get there ever but then you take it step by step by step and you see where you were when you set your first goal 10 years ago it's like man I had while you envisioned it being here and actually being the number one agent I'm sure feels good because it was such a, a lofty goal at one time yeah, and, and what's crazy is to even break that down a bit, like when you start accomplishing goals, 
your paradigm or new norm becomes different. So when, when I was sitting there thinking, you know, 10 years ago, um, you know, how am I going to be number one? You know, I had an idea in my mind, like I, like, and I actually, no, I didn't. Sorry. 10 years ago, I had no idea. Five years ago, I started having an idea in my mind of how I was going to do it. So like, still, it took me five years to get to the point where I'm like, okay, now I kind of found the pathway. I gained five years of knowledge. And then it was like five years. Then it's like, okay, now I kind of know exactly what, what, you know, path I'm going to follow to get to where I want to go. And that's what I did. But a couple things back up. If you pick a goal, your goal can change. It's subject to change. So I don't think anybody, if they pick a goal, they got to be married to that goal. Like your goal might be here and all of a sudden you just shift. Number two is spend your time really finding like something you're passionate about because, and, and this is not going to happen day one because think about it. Like we all had our first jobs. We had our first, we had what we had to do to survive when you're early on and you don't have the luxury of picking and choosing necessarily when you first start out. But if you really like something, that's one of the things that most impresses me about you is that you kind of like did a path like obviously you know you did like the military you did some stuff early on and then you changed and then you kind of went and then you're like hey, i want to get in personal training and then you kind of you're still doing that but then you're like yeah, i want to travel so like you've had a lot of change over 10 years um but it seems like every time you do it you're slowly polishing like the rock or yourself to like get better and better and, and get something that you enjoy more and you might not fully find that out until 40 or 35 and that's totally fine I look at it like, especially the way modern medicine is going, we're going to live well into our hundreds. Like if you start looking at this kind of stuff, um, mm -hmm. this is like the cool, like the, like where, where things are going is awesome. Like I'm very much an optimistic kind of person. I'm not like, I'm like so excited for the future. Like I'm like, there's so many things I'm like excited for yeah. that I never look at like, ah, oh, man, I wish things were this way or that way. I'm like, I don't care. Like I'm, I'm just one of those people. I just take it as it comes and I just, I, I, I adjust. And um, I think when I talked about the new normal, like I was just looking at numbers. Like I just, we ran some numbers like year to date kind of stuff for the company. And I look at those numbers and it's crazy to me. The number that I always wanted to hit as a company, this was like five years ago and even the last few years, we're already year to date ahead of that number by a, uh, a, I mean a pretty safe amount with a lot more to go by the end of the year, like to actually close. And what's crazy, I was looking at that number yesterday of where we were, and instantly, like I was pumped. Instantly, my head went from, okay, well, let's get to that number, which is now 10 million over where we were. And I'm like, okay. And actually, I was thinking that was kind of the number I was hoping to get to next year. We're going to be just short of that this year. So then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take that number, <laughs> and I'm going to drive it up to here because yeah. everything's happening a little bit faster. But it's crazy how fast that number that I've been trying to hit for so long, I've already just like – I'm like, you know what? Hey, we can hit that. And I know we can do much better now. So let's just like, let's really put our minds out there and think big and not just be like, ah, this is good. We hit, you know, we hit this number that I've been trying to hit. Um, and it, I've been doing that a lot lately, which is good because part of it is we're hitting our goals. But then part of it too is not necessarily the idea of hitting that number, but I think it's more the internal number inside myself, which is like the only, your, your own ceiling you put on yourself. So all of a sudden, like I'm seeing us kind of smash through those, what I had originally put as a ceiling for ourselves has been like smashed. So now I'm like, you know what? Screw that. We're going really high because I know I can hit that. It's still intimidating, 
but it's not as intimidating as it was years ago when I didn't think I had the infrastructure to get to this. But now I know I'm like, God, we have the infrastructure to get to that and we're ready to do it. So that's the stuff that fires me up. So that was when you talk about like 10, 10 years from now, it's like, like I'm excited because yeah. the sky's the limit really. Well, then the two part question is, where is there ever a time in your career coming up to now where you were like, I don't know if I'm going to make it as a realtor. And then on the other side, when you're setting a goal, does any goal kind of intimidate you? It's like, well, what if I can't handle all of this success? And then I come up and it's like, I I have too much to do. So on both sides of the coin, people are afraid to take the leap or to not go all yeah. in because they need the safety net of something else. So, yes. Yeah, so your answer is they ever feel like getting out of real estate. Mm-hmm. I got in at 20. 21, 22, 21, 22, I'd even say 23, I was fine. I had very little debt. I had very little expenses. I like, I didn't have to make a ton because my living expenses were so small. Well, then about 24, 25, my expenses started to climb. 26, my expenses started to climb. There was times probably around the 24, 25 year old mark. Now, granted, I'm 30 now. This was like five, six years ago. So it wasn't that long ago. There was times where I, in my head, I was like, I might have to get a second job. And now this is after doing real estate for four years. Like I might still have to get a second job. And then I thought about, like, I remember one time vividly me, my wife now at the time we were just dating. Like, I remember sitting there thinking like, I like, I actually had to look on my credit card statement to see how much cash back we had from my credit card points. Like to pay bills. Yeah. This wasn't yeah. like, this wasn't like, oh, I want to just go blow it on some money or on something. This was like, shit. Like, I got a month, another month of expenses coming on. Like, thank God we got $500 in cash back, whatever. Like, that will pay for at least the, the apartment or the mortgage or whatever. I guess mortgage at the time. And, and then I thought in my head, I'm like, I might have to ask my parents for money, like, mm-hmm. or I might have to get a second job. And of course, my, you know, like, kind of, thick-headedness i'm like no i'm not doing that i'm just gonna like work harder so like i just kind of like didn't but like we talk about like your back up against the wall like that there was about a year year and a half that that was like that and it was stressful for a little bit you know there were some times where like you always had some you know you always had money available but it was like you were very close to paycheck to paycheck for a little bit of time and that was kind of right when the time where i said you know what i'm just gonna go all in i'm gonna like bet on myself i'm just gonna make it happen and you know, and luckily I've, I was able to do it. Um, but again, I, I still, I'm not guaranteed a paycheck ever in my business. So it's still to this day. So it's like, okay, well, if I do something or say something or act a certain way and I start losing clients or people don't want to use me, I can go from here down to here very fast. And I'm aware of that. So that's something that's always in the back of my mind. Um, I mean, it's it's in, but it's like way back. I don't really, I don't dwell or focus on it, yeah. but it's something that I'm aware of. And um, the would you say the other one, the idea of a goal, like growing too fast, almost. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah. So growing too fast, yes. Um, that was a concern. It still is a concern. Right? To be honest, like full disclosure, like even a week ago, it was like, what the hell is going on? Like, and not enough where I would ever want to quit. Not not at all. I actually embrace the the challenge of it but well, it's a good problem times, to have it's growth problems but it's it's does it feel overwhelming yes but i'm also i've kind of i've kind of beat it into my own head not to 
one, not to complain about good things. Like growth is a good thing. It's not, I mean, you, you basically you, 